Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Arseholics podcast on a uh, Tuesday night. Um, I'm not in my usual spot because, you know, for those of you that can see on, on the camera, um, it's a bit all over the place in my living room today, um, which is a little bit like Arsenal were on the weekend. Wonderful segue. See that? <laughs> yeah. But it's true. Um, and we, you know, we probably had to give ourselves a day to recover emotionally but also recover because we drank a lot on on sunday um <laughs> i was i was a bit hungover yesterday um I, i've got aaron with me um because and today is going to be you know one of those days where it's probably uh, uh you know the, the the most um i've probably not look forward to this podcast today to, to recording this because ultimately even times this season where we've had poor results there's always been hope and today is the day where, at least for this season anyway, um, there's there's no real hope. There's nowhere that we really go from here with respect to this season. So this is a very different vibe today. And Aaron, and how are you feeling about recording today? Yeah, you know what? I'm not, I wasn't as gutted today than I was against some of the other games. For me, I kind of felt that like, it was, I mean, look, I never, maybe you're going to say that, oh, you're just saying this now, but I, I've been consistently, like, as I've said on the pod, I never thought we could do it, right? I never thought we could do it. And I think you guys gave me a stick for that. And I remember coming on here well, saying... Well, not really. I, I think... But, no, okay, so go on, let me fit, let, 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 I'll let you finish, sorry. No, this was, okay, this isn't me, like, oh, like saying, oh, I told you so, because I, I would have, I really wanted to be wrong, and I was really, really hoping you were right. Um, but I think the thing I always said was we're up against Man City. And I think I said with 13 games to go, I said, you look at every single one of those City games. There is no reason why City won't win all of them. Um, and then we started talking about like, what is the probability of them winning every single one and, and all that stuff. But I think the point is I never really thought we would pull it off. Right. Um, I think where, I'm a little bit disappointed is kind of how it unraveled and the way it unraveled. And actually, mm. you know, we can talk more about this later on. Like I think the damage was already done. I was a lot more disappointed after that Southampton game. I was actually you know, really disappointed after Anfield. Anfield was the one that I was really disappointed with when I was like, we really should have won that game. And so actually this one was, for me, like it was always going to be very, very unlikely going into this game that um, even if we'd won, I still would have been like, oh, I still think this is very unlikely to happen. And look, we've lost. I, it was kind of, you know, the performance we'll talk about, but it kind of just killed off any faint hope. And actually, <laughs> part of me feels relieved a bit because it would feel like we've been put out of our misery for this, you know, this last period, which has been a bit, difficult to deal with and i think you know, it, it is what it is it doesn't stop the fact that it was it has been a, a fantastic incredible season mm. and i hope we finish it on a high um because that's what the fans deserve that's what the players deserve so at least we can just i i think i hope now we just go on and we end it well and we crack on with next season and hopefully next season will be just as fun I agree. And I think there will be, and maybe we will have an element of that in this podcast when we are, you know, very positively reflecting on what a great season it was there, will, but there will certainly be enough time for that. Um, it's, it, it's difficult. I find, I find it really hard to, you know, really feel a lot of those positive vibes unless I really dig deep for it right now. Um, and I think to be honest, right, just going back to what you're saying about, you know, what you thought was going to happen, I didn't think we were going to win the league. I just thought that we could win the league. And I thought that in at the very least, we would do really well. But the reason why we wouldn't win it was because City would just win more games than than us. Just just do just do that extra bit more. So I think that the, the bit that I'm disappointed, the, the bit that I feel really low is I don't think I expected us to whimper out in this way at this point. Um, you could then be more rational about it, I think, and then say, well, you know, if you think about it, right, before the Liverpool game, 
for us to have won the title before that Liverpool game, it still would have required, assuming that City were going to win most of their games, um, most if not all, and it looks like they could win all. You know, we, we would have we would have had to have matched that, and and with even the few injuries that we had, I think that would have just been way too unrealistic, right? I don't think we could have expected to lose Saliba and Tomiyasu and that combination of that that required Rob Holding to sort of come in and kind of survive in those periods where we didn't have Jesus and and I know we did sort of come through it but you know the fact that that we were still managing fitness around that kind of Liverpool West Ham Southampton mm-hmm. sort of time and then you know with some of our other players with tiredness or whatever I feel like it probably was just too unrealistic to expect that we would be able to just basically win the vast, 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 vast majority of our remaining games. Um, because I, I think, you know, like the, I mean, performances aside and the results that actually happen aside, I think, you know, the way that Man City have gone about their business, it does mean that if we had, if if we drew with Liverpool and we lost to Man City and we won every single other game, including the one that's just gone, Man City still would be on track to beat us for the title such as kind of, you know, what they've done. So yeah, it, it is tough, but I mean, that's just, you know, but let's talk about the game a little bit because I guess the question I, I want more to ask is it, it almost feels like the Newcastle game was a distant memory, but it really wasn't. It was, it was just a week ago, you know, it was, it was the last Premier League game that we played and, and we were reflecting on that game as if it was the performance of the season. Almost. It was the real icing of the cake from the respect of the professionalism curve that the team has come on and that winning mentality and that kind of grit and that desire and whatever you want to call it. You know, how did we go from having a performance of the season away at probably, you know, arguably the arguably the hardest place to go away in the Premier League this year, actually, because I think more teams have taken more points off Man City at the Etihad than, than at St. James Park, I think. So how do we go and do that? And then a week later, absolutely put in arguably our worst performance of the season and lose three nil at home in a in 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 you know just as crunch a time. How, how do we go from that to that in one week? So I reckon there's you can kind of split that into two things, right? So last week, what happened? I think last week was probably more around more like it felt like with hindsight it was more than just about the title race i think you know the way arteta talked about it post game it was about getting revenge it was about getting um yeah putting right what went wrong at st james's park last year and i felt like the players went into that with a a desire of like okay like forget about the title race this is about pride this is about respect this is about showing what we are as a team and look there like every premier league game it's all a fine margins there were very like quite a few moments in that game where we we could have easily lost it we could have easily conceded goals and we scored at the right time we were clinical and we went in front and we did what we needed to do um and on sunday i think i mean the main thing probably was look we lost sinchenko and this is a team that and when you play a brighton team who let's be honest were really like, were excellent right they absolutely killed us and all their players had really good games and they are just a really really good team and when you're playing a team like brighton who are chasing europe really hungry playing really well um you need to be at your best and we we didn't have Zinchenko and I felt that that either caused us to like we had Tierney come in and Tierney just can't do what Zinchenko does but he also struggles to he struggles to like I think we struggle as a team to like set up to cater for Kieran Tierney and I, I think the way we played in that first half we seemed to we seemed to play a bit like the away team and we kind of were like pressing Brighton and trying to press from the front. And then I don't really know what happened in the second half because we just seemed to forget about all of that. We were rubbish in the second half, but I think we didn't, we, I think we 
we lost too much to play a team against Brighton. So we lost Sinchenko. We obviously lost Saliba. Um, we have players who I think looked really tired and the the emotion of the game was the emotion of the season was showing, I think. And the fact that we you know, we knew City had won their very, very difficult game on paper. And it was so I guess psychologically and schedule wise difficult. Um I think all of that just meant that when you're playing a team like Brighton who are excellent, we just didn't have enough. And I reckon mm. you play that game for another ten minutes and we probably end up losing four or five nil, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not, it's very different from some of the other games that we probably said if we play another ten minutes and we probably go on and score another one. But it's weird though, isn't it, Aaron? Because it was the opposite for Brighton. Brighton put in their worst performance of the season last game. Yeah, they they got battered by Everton of bloody Everton, right? Could have done that. Could have, yeah, could have done us a favour. And like, yeah, and this, these are things because it's still fine margins. I know we lost three 0 I know we said we got battered, but I think a different game where if we take our chances in the first half and we like some of those half chances, the Trossard shot, the one where um, I can't remember. I think there was an Odegaard shot where he didn't really shoot and he kind of blocked it. And there was a couple of final balls that went missing. If if we put them away, I think. We we might we might just about go and do enough, but I think when yeah. we it's hard to look at it that yeah. way when you lose three 0 isn't it? Yeah, and but I think after the first goal, I honestly think collectively, like we've seen this team come back from so many situations, especially at home when we just concede first all the time nowadays. Conceded first against Southampton, conceded first against Bournemouth. Um, I can't remember who we played last time, probably conceded first then as well. And uh, it's, I just felt like this team all season, especially that attack has been like, okay, we've conceded. We've got to go again. We've got to go again, get up, go again. And I just felt like after that Brighton goal went in, they just, they were down. (laughs) Like it, yeah. It was too much for them. It was another comeback that we just didn't have the energy in the tank for. And you could see, like, you saw Saka, he struggled. You saw Ben White, he really struggled. Um, Martinelli got, you know, came off after 20 minutes because he was just being taken out. And Trossard came on and he struggled. Uh, yeah, it was just a struggle for a lot of players. A lot of players have been good and excellent all season. Those players that we rely on, they were just, they looked done. Why is it that? Because, you know, it's a combination of youth and, and experience in the team. Overall, it is youth, I suppose, that, you know, we have got a very young team. Now, I don't, you know, what I'm going to say right now probably sounds like I'm saying Brighton are a better team than Arsenal. Obviously, the league table will prove that that's not the case. But Brighton have responded through this season in so many ways, right? They, they lo- they've lost a couple of their big players like they do every season. And that includes in January when we signed Trossard, they've had a manager change in the middle of the season. Recently they've tweaked their team a lot and they've had to, because they've randomly for, for kind of reasons that aren't necessarily just there, just because of their, their competitions, they've fallen kind of victim to the fact that other teams have had clashes and they've ended up with huge fixture congestion around this time. They play, I think, you know, more than Man City or almost you know, at, at, at this point in the season, which is really weird. And they're rotating their team and they don't have, they didn't have Solly March playing and they start, they, they started Ferguson and they, you know, they, they changed it up a little bit. So I guess one, why can they come to the Emirates with, uh, you know, more congested fixtures than we do, change up the team, but look like they've got more ideas, look like they want it more, look a bit fresher um how is that how is that possible because we've only got one game a week um yes we've had some injuries we got we got unlucky i think in this game like you say zinchenko probably wasn't expected that he would have as serious an injury as he clearly did martinelli going off injured in the middle of the game whatever but but why is it that it just looked like we were done and we were toast Versus I think there's, there's a couple of things, right? I think the Tierney thing, like losing Zinchenko is actually huge for us because, you know, he, for all his defensive weaknesses, he has completely transformed the way we play, all right? And we simply do not have an alternative for when he's not in the team because um, 
we don't have an alternative to do what Zinchenko does because there there isn't that player, right? And then you know, maybe you argue then, okay, you know Zinchenko is not going to be here, set up differently. And maybe that with hindsight, you look at Arteta and say, could he have, re- could he have reacted differently? And it... And because isn't that recent thing there, Aaron? Because sorry to interrupt you, but like towards the beginning half of the season, we were changing up our team. We were tweaking our team slightly in loads of games and big games to kind of gain a competitive advantage. And I go to the Liverpool game at home where, you know, we played Tommy Asu at left back and Zinchenko was fit and Tierney was fit. And we played um, yeah, Tommy Asu at left back. Tommy Asu can, can kind of do that. Like not, not a Zinchenko thing, but he can do the kind of, like tucking in, playing, stepping up, covering other people. Tierney is an excellent defender, but he simply cannot do what we want him to do. And I think the, the argument I would put to Arteta is like, you know, Tierney's still a good def- like a good player. Could we have changed to get the most out of Kieran Tierney? But I think Arteta probably thinks that that was too much. I think I saw a stat that Kieran Tierney had something like six passes in the first half. Um and I think in a full game, like over 90 minutes, Zinchenko averages, from what I've heard, uh, between like 55 to 60 passes a game. Um, mm. It's a huge difference. So we, we've basically taken 60 passes out of that team. And then, and I think and I've said this a few times, right? This team can tolerate one, maybe two absences. But, you know, you look at kind of after 30, 40 minutes, we took out Martinelli. We didn't have Martinelli. We didn't have Zinchenko. We didn't have Saliba. We didn't have Partey for you know our own reasons because Partey for what like mysterious reasons has completely forgotten how to play football. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's four four of our first choice eleven weren't on the pitch for most of that game. Um, and when you are in a title race, when you then have the other five or six players: Saka, Ramsdale, Gabriel, Ben White. Uh, yeah, Odegaard, these guys who have played pretty much every minute of the season. Um, and, you know, it's a combination then of like, you know, the reserves and the squad players coming in haven't been able to do it for a variety of reasons. And the players we've put out have basically played every single minute and are completely knackered. Um, so I think the lessons for next season are going to be like, how do we rotate? How do we ensure that, we can maintain this, you know, almost 90 point pace that we did for the first half of the season, but ensure that towards the end, we don't drop because, you know, if you want to look at it in a similar way, this, there was a drop off last season. I know last season happened for a variety of reasons as well, but we saw with Saka last season, he was knackered. Um, Mm. And he's knackered again today, this year. Um, So there are trends that Arteta does need to address through rotation, trusting more players. Um, because we're going to have the Champions League as well next year. Um, this was a season where we went out of Europe relatively early. We went out of the Cups relatively early. And still, we didn't look physically prepared at the end of the season. Whereas you look at Man City, they they peak now. Um, so, yeah, I think it's both, right? And, it, you know, one has, has the impact on the other. The fact that we lose three or four players probably means that the other five or six players have to play. Um, mm. You can't rotate Saka and play Reese Nelson when you're missing four other players. You, you know, Trossard gets minutes, but you know Martinelli. Like it's, I think there's a lot of things that unfortunately went wrong. And you know, again, the key theme though is like we lose one or two key players at the wrong point in the season, and we just can't cope. And that's something we do need to learn how to do. And, it's, and it does sound like there'll almost be some wholesale, not wholesale, maybe that's the wrong word, but there'll be quite a lot of changes, I imagine, this summer. Um, and, you know, we're hearing about some potential ones and maybe we should expand on that in a second, but just kind of keep keeping on the on the point of the game. We um, Let me talk to you about Arteta for a second because, well, actually, let me frame it in a different way. There's been lots of talk um, from elements of the media. Gary Neville's been very vocal about it, about um, Arsenal being too emotional. Yeah. Um, and I think we were very defensive of the team earlier on in the season around those accusations because, you know, it sounded like what we were getting accused of is those last minute winners against Villa and Bournemouth of celebrating too hard. And I think we all kind of thought that was a bit out of order and it was just almost human to to to, to celebrate in that way, etc. Um, but 
I've I've started to reflect on it a little bit more, and I wonder whether there is something that is is in that that's true in the sense that when you have all of these moments, it's not even the um it's not even about the emotional outburst at that or the emotional kind of outlet at that point in time. It's sort of about the long term, I think, effect of that emotion, and it it sort of feels to me on reflecting on it where where we've gone through this journey this season the emotions of all of these games of these kind of you know last minute wins and 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 the kind of celebrations that kind of followed and and some of the stuff after the game and 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 maybe partly of the reason of having a young team and whatever i wonder if that just all got very emotionally tiring um and partly you know arteta was sort of succumbing to it as well and and you know maybe that's showing you know, he also was kind of getting in this fairy tale thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. We could do this as against all odds and, you know, all that kind of stuff and all, all, all of that's kind of going on where, you know, you look at Man City and I know it's Man City and they've got kind of a different maybe caliber of squad, but they, they've just always, they've kind of gone about their wins and they've just, you don't really hear about it afterwards. You don't really hear much about kind of, you know, them reacting to it in any way or whatever. It's just, vanilla and and it's just been that way and now they're going at this period of the season and it doesn't look like there's any drop off they're just getting wins they're just going to game and just winning and just winning and just winning and just winning and it's not like kind of elaborate it's just winning um is there a bit of that that you kind of i don't know buy into a little bit more do you think that that emotions could be playing a part um and i and, and i mean that with not just the team but with arteta as well Mm. I do, and I have said this before, I do think some of our players are, at least when I see them on the pitch, too emotional. Um, I've said this about Zinchenko for a, a while, that the guy is just way too emotional. Um, like, our senior players are actually some of the most emotional. Like, Jesus sometimes is really emotional. I remember Anfield, I think we discussed this and said both Jesus and Zinchenko just needed to chill out. Um but I'm not sure you can say that like the way we have to be like Man City, because the only way we're going to be like Man City is if we win bloody five league titles in a row or whatever it is. And you just, yeah, but, so and this comes to, to this, this is like Russ's point below, right? Which is, I think, you know, to what you're saying right now. Yeah. Um, but, but, but the, the, the bit that I just, again, sorry to interrupt you, but you know, to build into your answer, I suppose. The, the two players that you mentioned about being really emotional. No, exactly. Are, are yeah, the yeah. two players who have won four titles yeah, each? And this think, to Russ's point, like, why are they, why are they like? And they should. Yeah. They're right. I think that. So that's probably where I think Gary Neville does have a little bit of a point, which is like these senior players do need to like help cut out some of that emotion. And actually, they should they should be the regulators of emotion in this team to be like, yeah, you should celebrate and like. I think when you, I think some of the stuff he talks about when you go and win in the 96th minute of against Bournemouth, okay, you you should celebrate. Like I don't think anyone should regulate those celebrations. It's it's an, it was a brilliant game. It was a brilliant feeling, and the players should be proud of themselves and they should celebrate. Okay, and I think that so I think there's there's probably an element of truth in what Gary Neville said, but I think he just surrounded it in nonsense in the way that. Like when you win, when you win the last minute, you should celebrate. When you score a, like a, a fantastic goal, you should go nuts and you should celebrate. And um, but is that the reason we lost the league? And is that the reason we're not champions? No, that's like maybe it's the tenth factor, yeah. the tenth most important thing. There's so many important, very very obvious reasons we are not champions and we're not going to be champions. And Zinchenko being too emotional or Gabriel Jesus being too emotional or whatever he said, I didn't watch it fully, um, is not the biggest factor. Yeah, I think the biggest factor is we, A, just don't have the squad that is capable of, even at our best, I don't think we were going to match City. City are going to get 96, 97 points this season. Um, that if we were going to win it, we would have to get basically the highest Premier League points total of any Arsenal team in history. Um, coming from a team that we built to compete for fourth place. Um, so, so the main reason is, A, we are simply up against a 
ridiculously good team who let's be very direct have been charged multiple times for cheating and breaking the rules um secondly we were going to try and do that and maybe we might have been able to go far and get those 95 96 points but we were going to do it without our best center back and losing key players in the run-in and not having and then also look losing his backup so we lost Saliba and we lost Tomiyasu and we were basically figuring out how to plug a gap where we've lost two players in that position there is simply no no team that can compete with Man City having lost their first choice right centre-back and effectively their second choice right centre-back um but despite that we gave it a really really good go um, but ultimately, we just conceded way too many goals since Saliba went out. And we simply haven't been able to address that gap. Um, but even if we had been able to address that gap, we still probably wouldn't have been able to catch them. Um, and then, yeah. you know, yeah. there's, I said, I think those two are the main reasons why we haven't been able to catch city and then maybe you can say that oh okay we haven't had a a striker that's good enough to like fully plug the gap when we needed something different oh Saka's tired and we didn't have a backup right winger and then eventually you go down all those reasons and you get to the maybe the ninth or tenth thing on the list which is yeah sometimes Zinchenko looks a bit too emotional so it's a really good point it's it's, it's Gary Neville just scoring points basically and I think he's talking nonsense and he's succeeding in winding up a load of Arsenal fans so I'm sure that's what he wanted to do. Yeah, well, I mean, at least he was wrong in, well, very, very much wrong in his prediction of Man United finishing above Arsenal. That absolutely didn't happen. It is interesting as well, right, that, you know, we are, Arsenal getting a lot of attention in the press um, for how the season has ended. And the fact that we are getting this much attention just because we finished second versus many of the other clubs who were supposed to finish higher than us um, is I suppose a compliment in some ways, but it does kind of show agendas as well. Right. I think that we need to focus on the fact when you reflect on the season on a whole, you have to reflect, focus on the fact that, you know, it, whether you lose the points at the beginning, the middle of the end, they all count the same. And no one thought that Arsenal were going to get this many points and finish and finish where we're going to finish. So it is really impressive. And I think on that point, we should probably talk about the fans' behaviour. Miser really wants us to talk about this. And I think we should, you know, Miser in the comments saying, can we discuss the massive number of fans walkout as the second went in, including a few high-profile YouTube famous fans? Eyes emoji, baffling considering the season the players have given us. He's absolutely right, Miser, right? Because... I mean, there were, we sit in the North Bank, we sit in the North Bank lower and there are a few, um, you know, big Arsenal names, you know, in terms of the fan base, in terms of kind of the amount of subscribers their pods have, the amount of followers their social media accounts have. Um, and they really embarrassed themselves, in my opinion, and, and the club in, in, in it, with respect to the fact that there was an obvious exodus after the second goal went in. Um now, oh, I'm sure loads of people will give the same. Oh, you know, because I leave early because I want to catch a train. I want to catch this. Well, it wasn't a nighttime game. So it wasn't like you were going to get home at midnight. Um, so we don't have that. This was purely an exodus driven by disappointment of the fact that we were going to lose and we were probably going to lose quite convincingly. And I, I'm, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure you agree. We were devastated. We were disappointed. I was really annoyed. I was, I was pretty drunk as well. And I was, that got me even more like, you know, upset and annoyed. And in fact, before I go as far as say, so when there were other fans, really great fans, there were loads of really great fans who were still in the stadium. There's many of them who carried on singing really passionately, um, even when we we're losing 3 0. I actually, to be honest, I wasn't one of them. I couldn't bring myself necessarily to be chanting with incredible passion because I was so disappointed at that time. I wasn't going to walk out on the bloody team like after the season that they've given us. I wasn't going to walk out on them. I didn't feel like, let's just get out of here. That's childish. That's just absolute childish. Who do we think we are? Um, so I was very disappointed to see all those fans leave and it would look worse actually on TV when you see it on TV. And I think it's particularly like the east stand that tends to kind of really really kind of dry out sometimes like they're like it's they like they're the stand where people just flock to the exits i don't know why but um you know it looked, it looked really crap and um yeah a poor form by the fans that left i think what do you reckon 
Um, I actually am going to disagree with you. I know you can't hear me and can't hear me disagreeing with you, but I am going to disagree with you, Raj. Um, look, I think it is a shame and it was a shame that that game finished with players who walked out and that game finished with players who really like the players deserved to finish that game and finish the season on a high. And I think the players deserved not seeing a million fans or half the fan base walking up. But you know what I said, for example, I was not that upset so I could get up for it and I could go and, and cheer and like make noise. But everyone kind of sound like a funeral, but everyone kind of grieves differently. And you know what, if some people want to walk out and if some people want to do something different and because I think everyone has to show their frustration a different way. And for a lot of people, the title race did end for us at that game. And that might've been the first time that they really got upset about it. So, yeah, I think it's okay if people walk out, if they're frustrated, because they, they have been with the team uh, side by side through thick and thin. Again, it's like it's like the players. They can't, you know, this was just one hurdle, one comeback too much for the players. And I think it might have been one comeback too much for the fans. Speaking of comebacks, can you hear me? Can you, I could hear you. Could you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> That was what funny. happened there? Um, I, I've, I've got to thank Russ in the comments, mate, because if it wasn't for you, I just thought I was there slagging off Aaron, but clearly it was me. I don't know why. I just disconnected <laughs> everything and I'm back. What what amateur hour? I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's fine. I was on my own for about 30 seconds, and I think it was the best 30 seconds this podcast has ever had. <laughs> that's harsh that's harsh but i sound like i caught the end of it and it sounded like you were basically echoing um what i was saying there um, no i actually wasn't well. i wasn't you were was slightly disagreeing with you oh sorry um, go on so i will summarize i said that look i think it was a shame that yeah the game ended with a half empty stadium probably less but actually i think for a lot of people this was their first time that they could really like get upset. And I think who are we to tell players, fans, how to get upset? And if they want to walk up, look, because this ground has been full up until the 91st minute. There are a few people that leave all the time, but largely up until the 91st minute. And as long as they're not, as long as they're, they're back against Wolves, and as long as they're back and they're cheering this team, because this team deserve like a lap of honour, and they deserve applause and they deserve us singing their name for 90 minutes against Wolves, regardless of what happens. Um, look, it did surprise me how many players and how many fans walked out uh, after the second goal, especially because there was quite a bit of time left, I felt. But, but that, I think that's my main point here, right? Like, you can't, there's enough time. There's, I think, well, I think people were just broken, though. Mate. I think peop people were like, I think a lot of people probably, for that was. Yeah, that was a tipping point for them. And let's see, as long as the negativity doesn't creep back in, I don't want this, like if they start doing that again next season, five games in, and, you know, let's say we haven't had the best start and then they start walking out. Yeah, I'll agree with you. But for one game, I can probably just let them off. I think I've been very nice, actually. I mean, look, I, I still feel a bit childish because I feel, you know, who... who we're second in the league and there are teams that, that really, really, really struggle to get a win at all in this league. But you know, when, yeah, I think, but I think some of these, not... some of these fans probably really believe that we were going to win the league. Like, like I said, I never believed. And therefore when it, we didn't get it, I was still like, you know, we're still second. We're doing really well. But I reckon there are a few thousands of fans that genuinely thought that we could do it. And yeah, I think, like I'm not like yesterday, sorry, on Sunday and Monday morning when I woke up, I wasn't like, I remember how I felt like after the Newcastle game last season, right? Where I, I don't think I watched football for like another two weeks after that. Cause I couldn't <laughs> just watch anything. Right. Um, I didn't feel like that against Brighton. Um, so the people, people are different and people are different. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're right. Like I think, um, I think that 
at the same time, as much as, you know, I didn't, you know, wouldn't want to have walked out on the team and, you know, I'm proud of the team and that, like, yeah, it doesn't, I mean, you can still be angry and you can still think that the performance was poor. Um, Like I thought we played really badly. And I thought that there was a lack of professionalism in some of our players against Brighton. I thought Arter had a really bad game, really, really bad game. Um, and oh, I can think we, can we talk about that briefly? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, let, 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 fine. Let's let's do that. Um, anyway, my, you, my point is that you know I agree with all those things that they had the you know, but 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 I still felt like you know overall you've got to stay there and support your team because you never know, and 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 this team is going to need to bounce back and still believe that. Um, you know, we 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 believe in them, but yeah, okay. Look, let's um, <laughs> sorry, let, let, I'm gonna I'm gonna read out Maya's comments before we move on. Maya says, "Aaron, and you're being too nice, mate. Too many of our fans are spoiled and fickle. Big part of the reason why our fan base gets such a bad name." I'm with you there, Maya. No, Aaron and guys just talking complete nonsense. Can't believe anyone left early considering <laughs> comebacks we've seen this season. Yeah, I mean, Maya's just no. I just Maya's think Maya's like, just look, I'm just you. not like given the season we've had. I think I don't want the narrative now to be Arsenal fans arguing with each other about who leaves early who supports the team like let them do what if they want to go early that's on them uh if they do it once if they keep doing it then i'm with you like it's nonsense but if it's a one-off and i think it has been a one-off because the, the fans have been there i think yeah, but that's just we've been incredible grief. this season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I get you, I get you. And I don't, look, I don't think it's going to be something, look, it, it, it's not going to be something that causes huge division in the fan base. Yes, we're talking about it because we're an Arsenal podcast and that's what, and we were there, that's what we're going to do. But let, let let us move on to the Arteta thing. Like, so, um, yeah, look, I thought he had a bad game. We 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 actually praised him so much against Newcastle um, about his team selection, his subs, his his tactics, kind of, you know, whatever he said, how he behaved in the pre-match conference, everything about it. Um, Bruno De Zerbi before this game uh, and after the Everton game was very stoic in saying that against Arsenal, people would see the real Brighton again. Um, clearly, whatever he said to motivate his team worked. In a lot of the tactical analysis that I've read since the game, which hasn't been that much because I just really didn't really feel like getting into it that much. And, um, you know, uh, but a lot of the stuff seems to suggest that Bruno De Zerbi set them up in an incredibly unique way and did some really, really clever things, including really interesting things like taking Levi Colwell, the centre-back, and having him basically man-mark Odegaard, like come out of natural set he was really positions good, to just... Yeah, yeah, to just to just do that. Um, Arteta, on the other hand, I'm not sure that I can't think of a tactical decision that he got that seemed to have made any sort of positive bearing on our attack and any positive bearing on our defence. I, I I didn't see anything. I mean, and and the subs didn't really make a difference. I think any of the subs were were particularly good subs. I think I don't think they were bad subs. I think they were all bad subs. But I think whatever he did, he didn't motivate them enough. He didn't get them, um, you know, playing in a way in which it changed kind of the 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 flow of the game what did you think yeah i i thought i don't know if they were bad subs but you're right they certainly didn't make us better they probably made us worse um but there were some theories on on a couple of other podcasts that actually the subs he made were out of frustration rather than like trying to not trying to win the game but actually like they were quite spiteful and i'm keen to get your thoughts on this right so i think the theories are that look he brought on reese nelson he brought on thomas Partey, he brought on eddie and katia and then he brought on smith rowe and he took off Xhaka, Jorginho, jesus and odegaard um and i think it was more like uh these are the players that you're not on for a reason and i'm bringing you on like show me you are good enough to like deserve me like deserve being here next season because you argue like oh like you like you argue that Reese Nelson I actually thought Reese Nelson did very well when he came on and has done very well but Thomas Partey again didn't look very good when he came on um Eddie Nketiah hasn't looked good for a long time now and I think I would argue that Arteta seems to have made his mind up on him um, and Emil Smith Rowe, again, he comes on and 
you know, he's given those kind of, he's a last, he's a sub of last resort, right? He is, he came on against City when we were 3 0 down or 3 1 down or what, what? I don't remember. What was the score against City? 3 0, 4 0, 4 1? I can't oh. remember. 4 1. You yeah, predicted it right, score, remember? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. At 3 1, I think he came on, or even 4 1. And um, he was given like some, you know, like what they call dead minutes. Um, what do you think? Do you think there was a message behind those subs? Do you think there was psychology behind those subs? Or do you think that they were just the best players to bring on and he was just trying something different? No, I don't, I don't agree with that. And, and Russ in the comments is kind of suggesting that, that was there was something subliminal there as well, saying Arteta's subs were a plea to the board. No, I, I disagree with with the... I, I disagree with the idea that there was anything um, sinister in any way or anything kind of... Um, there was any conspiracy around it. Look, at the end of the day, we, we were losing. We weren't doing well. Um, we got, even if we were doing okay, you still need to make subs. But... You know, we weren't doing well, so we had to make subs. Who, who, I think, you know, that theory that you've sort of said suggests that anyone that he would have brought on is just someone that he's basically saying, "Show me what you can do, otherwise I'm going to sell you." Um, as in, who, who else was he supposed to bring on? Those were the, the the people that he brought on were probably the best people to bring on. Um, there's a question mark again against all of those names. I agree with you that there's a question mark as to whether they all have like futures at Arsenal. But isn't that the point? Isn't the point that, you know, when you are um, playing well, you're in the team. When there's question marks over you, you're not in the team. But then the idea is that you come off the bench and then you do good things. And that's just how football has always worked. So I I, I don't, it's not the, the substitutions that he made in, in, in isolation that bother me. Apart from Odegaard coming off, because, you know, like you've mentioned in the past around how we, we you know, we rarely sort of play well without Partey. I don't. I don't really understand any rationale of taking Martin Odegaard off the pitch when you're trying to look for goals. Like when is yeah, that? When, when, when has that worked? When has it worked? Yeah, I think. And, he's and also usually Jack, the guy taking off Jacker as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, but at least, okay, like fine. But at least with Jacker, you can kind of go, or all right, fine, whatever. It looked like what he did was he moved to a, a, basically having Partey as a sole base, and then had kind of more attacking players. So you just had one kind of holding player, and that that's what you want to do. Okay, fine, fine, whatever. But what in what universe is taking your best like number ten off, and your captain like clearly one of Arteta's favourites anyway? Like he, he, so there's no conspiracy there. Just don't understand how you expect us to play if we if we're chasing goals multiple. How you expect that to work out positively? That that for me was was weird. Unless he thought there was some kind of fitness thing there, that, that was weird. Yeah, I think. I think it's one of those where it kind of just highlights that the players that we brought on, that this it was just a reminder that this was a squad that was built to compete with Tottenham, Manchester yeah. United, and that was it, really. <laughs> like, that was a challenge, right? Finish above Spurs and Man United, and we'd probably get top four. Um, and what we've ended up with is... Um, I was just taking a look at um, what City did at the weekend. They brought on, they took off Gundogan, they brought on Bernardo Silva, they took off Haaland, they brought on Jack Grealish, and they took off Rodri, and they brought on Calvin Phillips. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. We can't, it? we can't do that, right? We can't do that yet, and that's the level that we have to get to eventually. And I'm sure we'll talk about this in future podcasts where we discuss the squad how we're going to improve it but we brought on like I said Smith Rowe Reese Nelson Thomas Partey who you know on another day is a very very good player it has been one of our best players this season but for reasons that I genuinely don't understand why he's just become rubbish over the last three or four <laughs> games um and uh yeah and that those players aren't unfortunately good enough and we're going to have a real look at this squad in summer and there's going to be some players that if we want to progress and if now the challenge is to push Manchester City there are going to be players that we like that are good players that we let go very similar to how Manchester City let go of Gabriel Jesus and let go of uh, Zinchenko (laughs) Um, they, they were like sod it we need to get better and we haven't got space in the squad for those two. And there's a player, there's a team that wants to, wants to buy them. And they probably underestimated us a little bit, but um, 
they got rid of them and they went on and said, we're going to do more. The same thing with Cancelo. They were like, this guy, we need better or whatever reason. And they they let him go. Um, and we're going to have to be ruthless with some of these players that we really, really like because they're good people because they've shown in the past that they are good players. Like Kieran Tierney is a really good example. We were devastated when he was injured two years ago yeah, because he was like everything to us. And now we're like, we had seven passes in that first half and he can't play the system that we want to play because Zinchenko's come in. Um, and now all we want is these these dynamic left-backs who can play as midfielders. And that's the ask now. Um, Smith Rowe, who we thought was great. We thought was our sa- who was our saviour for huge games. Now we're saying, well, actually, Trossard's better than him and kind of does the same sort of thing. Should we let him go? Um and yeah, and maybe, maybe now's a good time. Um, sorry to hijack your hosting. Roger, yeah. but, uh, should we discuss a certain Granite Xhaka? We should. We should. I think it's a good a good time to move on to that. Um, so relating to this kind of, you know, topic of, of squad reassembly, one of the things that we debated, and Mai's my, made a comment about this earlier on in the pod, I'm going to get it up here, where he said, he said, I want a repeat of that post-Brighton pub chat, please, chaps. Because basically, after the game, when we were in the rocket, um, you know, drowning our sorrows, we started just reflecting a little bit about the squad. And and we were quite divided about um, the surgery that's needed and, you know, who we think should um, should go and stuff like this. Now, Aaron, and you, for, for many weeks, for, me- for many weeks, maybe months, you know, you, you've been quite, you've been advocating for, Granite Xhaka to leave in the summer um you know I won't put words in your mouth but you, you that that is you know although you have acknowledged that he's had a good season it's not that you've been you know kind of burying your head in the sand and pretending that he's had a bad season but I think you've thought that it was the right thing to do to move him on this summer um and Mize and I didn't agree with you but it sounds like um all the relevant parties do agree with you including Xhaka in the sense that it's, it sounds like the, the news that's breaking today is that Granite Xhaka has agreed with Arsenal that he's going to be allowed to leave in the summer for a new challenge. It sounds like it's something that Xhaka has wanted and Arteta and, and Arsenal have said that's fine. It sounds like Leverkusen are the potential um, favourite to sign him, allegedly having agreed a fee, which I think sounds around 15 million euros, around that much or something like that. Um, so it sounds like, you know, a departure is is certain. Um, well done. You called it. I mean, how, how do you feel about it? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. I I really, really like watching Xhaka this season. Because um, I, I think, I, because I think the half the reason I really like watching him is I can't believe he's the same guy. <laughs> I'm just yeah, like, yeah. who is this guy that's just come out and actually been a really good number eight for us that we basically got from converting this clumsy number six who's going to cost us points consistently over the last five or six years to actually one of the best number eights in the league. Um, and, but no, I think I look, I think you look at the team, there are some players that you're like, we can, you are going to be either first choice for that position or one of the first choices for that position for the next five or six years. Right. And, we don't need to name names, and there, but there are probably like six or seven of those players that you can kind of guarantee. Um, then there are like probably one or two gaps in the squad, which where, especially that first eleven or like the first or second choice eleven um, in that position, you're like, oh, we definitely have gaps. Like right centre back, we don't have a second choice, so we don't have a rotational option, right? Um, and then there are some players where you're like, oh, I'm not sure if. Like there is a clear way to upgrade in that position. And I think Granit Xhaka kind of falls into that that point where he has done a very good job, but he was never intended to do that job. And I think, you know, the easy comparison to make, I think there might have been you, Raj, that said this in the pub, was look at Gundogan and look at what Gundogan does for City in a similar-ish role in central midfield, which is you know, single-handedly winning them games sometimes. Like, because yeah, he I think the comparison goals, I made he... is Gundogan is there, El Neni. Yeah, exactly. But he's come in and, 
he's not even their first choice. And he's, you know, you put Gundogan in the Shaka role, he will do, like, he adds goals, right? And we've got this structure now where we've spread the goals out to a lot of our players, right? Um, Especially the two wide boys, uh, Martinelli and Saka. And actually, if we can add some goals while still adding that defensive running ability and that defensive responsibility, that defensive awareness, I think we have a very, very good player on our hands. And I, I know we've been linked with Declan Rice, and I think I'd be really keen if we get that done to see where Arteta sees him play, like if he sees him as the eight or if he sees him as the six. Um, but I think actually if we can get money for Xhaka and there are players interested in him and there are teams interested in him and it sounds like Lever- I'm surprised it's Leverkusen I thought there'd be much better teams than Leverkusen interested and I know Russ is saying in the comments that Xhaka's wife wants to go back to Germany and maybe there's a link there but well, I just the other link that, there's, that Leverkusen is partly because apparently you know Musa Diaby from Leverkusen is someone we're interested in so it could just be linked oh really okay that's interesting um, yeah I think it's it kind of just makes sense for everyone. He's going to turn 31 this year. Probably won't. I don't know if we're going to give him another contract. At some point, his legs will, you know, his fitness will fall off. He's been very reliable fitness-wise generally, but at some point that will dip. And actually, we want a team that's consistently getting better every year. And can you say that Granite Xhaka is going to get better every year for the next three years? I think almost certainly not. Um, so why don't we go and sign a player sign two players that can get better every single year yeah because i mean i think the reason why i'm surprised about it is less because i think that oh he's had a good season which and and it, it, he's he's that level that i think we need we, we need we need to improve from jacka don't get me wrong regardless of the news today i absolutely believe that we need to go sign a better number eight i couldn't see it happening because if you look at the four like really if you look at our four central midfield options i suppose right so we've got we've got uh, uh, ignoring fabio Vieira for a second um because you know arguably he actually in theory can play higher up the pitch as well but jaka parte el neni and lokonga okay and, and if you look at those four and Jorginho, sorry 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 if you look at those five players it's not you wouldn't say that all that any of them are nailed on to start next season. And you wouldn't say that that any of them are absolutely nailed to stay at the club next season. El Nenny might likely leave if if you know I wouldn't be surprised if he leaves on a free somewhere. Lokonga, it, it seems like he's really out of favor, and it seems like you know Burnley are apparently interested because company, you know, rates him or whatever. So both those players, you know, probably not. Xhaka now seems like he is leaving. Parte. I don't know, like, you know, just, I mean, if we're pursuing Declan Rice and then, uh, yeah, I don't know what that means for Partey. And also, yeah, like you say, it's sort of fallen off a cliff a little bit. Jorginho, is it, you know, is he going to be happy kind of in this kind of role? And was he always envisaging this was actually just going to be a short term? I I don't know. But but my point is, like, it's a real central midfield um, uh, revolution that we can see in the in in the summer, and I, I just didn't think that out of all those players, I actually thought that Jack was probably the lo- the least likely one for us to sell because I thought they would just thought he's respected in the dressing room. Uh, he's kind of had this redemption season. Um, he uh, he's playing in the Champions League, and I I correct if I'm wrong, but I don't think Arsenal have been in the Champions League since he joined the club. I don't think we have. So the first season in the Champions League, all that I just didn't see it happening, but. You know, I, I am surprised by it. Um, yeah, I, I know, don't know. I, uh, yeah, go on. I don't know where... I still don't know where Xhaka's heart is. Like, he... I think Xhaka is just this ultimate professional who turns up and does a good job. I don't know if he actually loves it here, though. <laughs> like, I still don't think... I still think there's something from that Palace game that sits deep inside him where he's never... Like he's never loved this club, he, but he continues to turn up, continues to train well, continues to work hard, and he's you know upped his level. And he plays for, he seems like the type of guy who plays for his teammates, plays for his manager, um, and it's kind of had a bit of a weird relationship with the fans. And 
maybe he just wants a fresh start to say like, look, I know what I'm good at now. I've been recognised. I've done what I need to do here at Arsenal and I can leave on a high and actually I can go to Leverkusen. Might be beneficial for family reasons and can just have three, get a new long contract, probably three years, four years, and just do something fun there where I'm happy. And, and look, I think we're, look, the other thing is we're we're not Man City in the sense that like one of the things that really annoys me about football nowadays is that teams can like fans look at what Man City do and then just assume that every other club can do it. Like we're not in a position where we can turn down money for players, like good money or reasonable money, right? If if good money comes in for Granite Xhaka, a player who we can upgrade on, we kind of have to still sell. Um, because we have more impactful players that we can buy. If there are some players who are like unsellable, um, but actually there's still a big chunk of this squad where if we get good money for them, we probably do have to consider selling. And like Jacques one, Partey, I'd probably say is another one. Most of that midfield group actually, um, except Vieira because he's just come in. Like if good money comes in for Jorginho, I think we probably sell him money comes in for Elneny, even if good money comes in for Partey, given the age of that group um, and goes back to that criteria of are these players going to be here for the next four or five years, continuously improving every year? I don't think any of them will. If money comes in for any player that doesn't meet that criteria of being that next that guy for the next four or five years, I think we look at selling. And the same thing with Tierney, same thing with Smith-Rowe, same thing with Reese Nelson's out of contract. Um, there's going to be a bunch of players where we literally have to be ruthless and say, look, we need to buy players who are continuously improving under this manager, under this system to push us towards the title. And if they don't meet that criteria, if we get good money, we have to have to consider selling because we can then spend that money on players that do meet that criteria. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the, uh, one of the challenges will be even if we are getting money for some people like Shaka and say if it's 15 million like you know many of the players that we're targeting cost considerably more so I, I I suppose you know every every little helps and it all kind of builds up and there's also wages to think about as well about you know managing the wage bill to facilitate some of those players um so look absolutely I I, I can really see this summer being um an extremely interesting summer for ins and outs at Arsenal because I do think that KSE will look at it and say, we backed this manager when it was really tough and we thought that, you know, we, he could get into the top four and we might be able to create a competitive side. And he's proved us. He's proved that to us. He's done that. So well done. Let's pat ourselves on the back. But they probably also looked at all these other clubs like Newcastle and, you know, just even some of the the, the clubs that have done, uh, you know, unexpectedly poor this season, like Liverpool, like Chelsea. And, um, and think that yeah, hell, you know, it's going to be really difficult. Like, and if we don't try and solidify our position as a Champions League team, then we'll probably just drop straight back out of it. So I think it will be really interesting because you know, for them, what, what's the alternative? If you don't do that, then you're basically putting at a huge risk of staying in the top four. And then what? And then getting back in is 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 incredibly difficult. Like, you know, I'll be very surprised if a team like, for example, Tottenham make it back in the top four for a long time now. I think it'll be really, 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 really hard for them. That's no. It, that's not I'm not saying that because I'm an Arsenal fan and I like Tottenham but I think it's just so hard to kind of break it so now we're there I think we're gonna have to stay so I agree I think it's just it's gonna we're gonna have to be really ruthless this summer and I think there but might you, be some of know, those sales that you talked about like you, like your T&Es or whatever maybe you know what I think I think we've actually done the hard part now <laughs> like this is the easy part yeah. in some sense yeah. which is like we the hard part is a getting the manager getting the scouts, getting the world-class young players and getting the uh, the core and the spine of the team right and balanced and the, the system and the vision and all of that stuff, right? So many clubs, you know, especially the clubs around us, haven't been able to do that, right? Man United, Chelsea, Man United maybe getting there. Chelsea, certainly not. Liverpool, a good club, but haven't really figured it out. Um, so many clubs have just not done that, right? That... The actual easy part now is when you've got a good team, you've got a system, you've got a manager, you've got the scouts, you've got something that's working well, 
and you've got the money coming in from Champions League, it's actually quite easy to say, actually, we want to go and find a better, num- uh, a better number eight than Granit Xhaka. We've got 100 million to spend on him. Let's go and buy the best potential number eight in the world, in the Premier League, in Declan Rice, and go and do that. And um, it's going to be super interesting to see how we do that. And yes, we need to sell, but it's it's quite easy right now when we're like, should we sell Granite Xhaka for 15 million and spend some of that, put it towards buying Declan Rice for 100 million? Yeah, of course you do. It's easy. And we can do that now because we've done the hard part. Declan Rice wouldn't have come to us two years ago when we were sitting eighth. And we, we couldn't have been like, shall we sell Xhaka? Because Xhaka was rubbish then. He probably wasn't worth 15 million two years ago. And we certainly wouldn't have the money or the appetite or the willingness or the system or the manager to attract a player like Declan Rice. So yeah we yeah. really have to you're right we've done the hard bit, yeah. and go and go bang and like now we can get those big big names in totally agree agree mate um so i'm getting a comment from Jana saying that raj you look like you've gone through some rough times recently with that beard honestly i was contemplating shaving after this podcast but i thought is it too late can i be asked because of your comment Jana, i'm actually going to go shave i have let it get out of control a little bit um yeah, like maybe Potter like it didn't help. at Chelsea bid. They, I, I guess so. That's probably I don't know. Probably <laughs> should be a bit worried about my own job then. I guess, um, but um, I got some I got some comments about it at work today as well. Um, so I might might have a shave. Um, shall we? We're at the we've gone past the hour mark. Shall we just look at Nottingham Forest very very briefly? It seems like a um, you know not one that we might have to dissect too much, and not one and that we I know it sounds really harsh, but care about so much in some ways. We Nottingham Forest, um, because of their win against Southampton and because of Leicester losing, because of Everton losing, they're actually not in uh, an awful place. That I think they're still going to be desperate to win, but it's not um as as kind of dire. I think that I think that they are um 15th, I want to say, um, or 16th. Basically, there are a couple of points uh Above the relegation zone, I'm just getting the league table up. Table up, um, but again, this is look sixteenth, and yeah. Um, yeah, so they are sixteenth with uh, thirty four points. Yeah, so yeah, sixteenth with thirty four points. Leeds are eighteenth with thirty one. Um, so yes, yeah, not it's three three points. Actually, quite it's quite a lot, you know, for a relegation battling team at this point of the season. But given like you know that you don't really back those teams to get wins, but I think Newcastle, sorry, Nottingham Forest, are still going to play out their skins right. Um, and when when what what do we have to motivate ourselves? I think there's still going to be a lot of disappointment in that squad. Um, for me, I think we're going to lose. I think we're going to lose like three one. Really? Um, yeah, I think we are. Um, I think the opposite. I, I think we'll smash them. I think we'll like play incredible now that the pressure's off. I think we'll win like four or five nil. But but <laughs> okay, what if we? Okay, pressure off is one thing, but you need something to motivate yourselves, right? And 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 this season, when we've had the pressure off, we've still motivated ourselves by thinking we've still had that title race. There's still been enough time, so it's still possible. Um, but the guys are going to go into this game at Nottingham Forest and they know that it's it's done, right? And they know that, you know, we are we are second, so great. We can't finish any higher than second. We can't finish any lower than second. And you're playing against a team who are gonna who've got something to genuinely fight for. And that always seems to make a difference at this time. And you and, and Nottingham Forest aren't um I keep saying bloody Newcastle. Nottingham Forest aren't um yeah, like they've been disappointing this year given the amount of money they've they've spent to try and stay up. But um but they have pulled off some decent results on their day. I mean, they 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 drew with City at at home. They did. I'm yeah, pretty sure they did. I think so. Um, they beat Liverpool at home. Um, they, yeah, I, I, yeah. I just they think play with this, desire. I don't know. Yeah, we're still a, a way better team than than. Of course, it's a work right? like that. And, course, it? Yeah. I I think we might rotate a little bit. I I wouldn't be surprised if Thomas Partey comes back into the team. Um, We'll obviously have to keep running with uh, Tierney at left back. What would have been really interesting, actually, is if we had a right centre back, maybe we could have given Kivior, because I think Kivior can play left back as well, um, seeing Kivior at left back. But we obviously can't do that because of the other issues in our defence. Um, so, yeah, I think the back four will be the same. Maybe even gives Turner a, a game 
Um, I think it was Ramsdale arrest. But um, I think we will... I think we'll just play well and I think we'll just let Saka, I can see Saka getting a couple of goals. I can see, depends if like Martinelli might not be fit, but maybe Trossard deserves a, although he was rubbish last game. I think he deserves a, a run out. And maybe this is a game where Jesus finds his uh, shooting boots and it all goes in. Maybe. I, I agree that we might see some rotation in a way, like kind of it's rotating players back in, if anything, but um I don't know, man. I I can't I can't really I can't really see it personally. Um, I think, but like, I don't know if I'd rather we gave someone like I was going to say that play someone like Emil Smith Rowe and and Vieira. But do you really want? I mean, like again, I think I think I I feel like we can't take it if we take it a bit easy in that way and start kind of doing a few things like that. Surely we'll lose. I mean, uh, you say that, but it, yeah. But also keep in mind that it's still not officially over right so i'm not saying that in terms of like we have a chance of winning it but i don't think arteta like if we draw then i think officially man city are champions or at least maybe on goal difference they are um and if we lose man city are like officially champions um i don't think arteta would want to hand them the title like this i think he would want to make them win want them to be in a position where they have to win it rather than we just give it to them. And I think there's a little bit of motivation there where actually just pride probably kicks in and you kind of just say like, look, I know there's a a 0.001% chance that they don't wrap this up in the week or so, but just go and do your job and win what you have left and then see what happens. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I, I think if we go, if we, if we play our best team, well, if we play what Arteta thinks is the best team is and doesn't, I, I won't like it. Yeah. yeah, best team left. Then, but perhaps you know, perhaps, and actually, maybe I'm not giving us enough credit, um, and maybe I'm giving Nottingham Forest too much credit. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I, I, I don't know. I feel like. Ugh, for some reason there's something in me telling me that I just I can't visualize them after what happened against Brighton I just can't visualize it um knowing that City are on the verge of winning the title I I just I can't visualize them going all out balls to the walls and putting in the kind of performance that you need to do when you go away from home and I know Russ has made an important point which is our away home form is better than at home that's absolutely true we're we're incredible away from home this season absolutely incredible um to think about some of the, you know, some of the games that we've dropped points in. I mean, games we probably should never have lost, really. Not not lost, which games we should have won. West Ham, Liverpool, for example. But anyway, yeah, look, um, fine. Enough said. All right, listen, I think we call it a day. Um, thanks for recording me, Aaron. And and sorry to all our listeners for the technical mix-up, which turned out to be my fault. Um, I do I do apologise for that. Um, but... Um, but yeah, hopefully it just gave you something interesting to um some and something different in this um not not you know not that you've had enough to deal with with Arsenal being um <laughs> so rubbish over the weekend. But anyway, look, thank you so much and thank you everyone for listening in. I see we had a number of viewers who've joined uh live and thank you, Russ, Jana, Mice for the comments and um everyone continue to please show your support to us like you have you've just been awesome um throughout this season please don't walk out on us you know in the middle of our podcast um you know we we, <laughs> we are we are we are sensitive like that um that's not gonna help with you um, slagging off all our fan base mate yeah I know, that's true actually. we've lost about a million fans now that's true <laughs> that's true all right everyone thank you very much cheers aaron in cheers mate bye see ya bye